From beautiful downtown Milheim, in the smack dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about drinking in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to episode 15, beautiful, historic, delicious Belfont. Now, I know that only last episode I referred to Belfont as a satellite town of State College. The truth is, until around 1930s, Belfont wasn't a satellite of anything. It was arguably the most important town in central Pennsylvania, with the possible exception of Harrisburg. Belfont was the home to seven Pennsylvania governors, an opera house, ironworks, several newspapers, an early airmail depot, and was the second city in America to have electric streetlights. New York was the first. You could even say that it's going to be important in the future, too. Jonathan Frakes, known for playing Star Trek's Commander Riker, was born in Belfont. While much of that prosperity is in the past, Belfont still retains an air of well-off charm, centered on Talleyrand Park and Spring Creek, and the Match Factory, home to Big Spring Spirits and the American Philatelic Society. People love the preserved Victorian architecture of many homes in the historic district. It's also still the county seat of Center County and home to the Big Spring, the source of 15 million gallons of spring water every day. If you're curious how that compares to the cave spring that provides the water for Jack Daniels, I know I was, cave spring only produces a little over a million gallons a day. Does Belfont's name come from a visit by the famous French statesman Talleyrand? We're told that he visited the area in 1796 and on seeing the gushing waters exclaimed, La Belfont! Well, maybe. Talleyrand was in America for the first half of 1796, but Font is not French for spring, or even fountain. It means something more like metal casting. The truth is, we don't really know the exact origin of the name, and a lack of solid records makes it impossible to know for certain. My own connection to Belfond started over 20 years ago, with a story I mentioned in the Lockhaven episode. I was at a beer festival in State College, conducting seminars and signing copies of my Pennsylvania Breweries book. I wanted to take a break between the afternoon and evening sessions. Schnitzel's Tavern, a local friend suggested, and gave me directions. Schnitzel's Tavern was in the old Bush Hotel, which is no longer standing. It burned to the ground in 2006. It was a terrible shame, because Schnitzel's was an oasis I'd go 20 miles out of my way to visit. German beers kept cleanly on draft, smoked trout with a house-made horseradish cream and thinly sliced onions, enjoyed on a masonry landing beside Spring Creek, overlooking Lower Belfont. It made a connection for me that survived the loss of the landmark hotel. I liked this little Victorian town. And then we moved to the area and started stopping by for Chinese takeout at Mr. Lou's Belfont Walk, and pizza and beer at the Hofbrau, and Italian pastries and cappuccinos at Bonfados. Then our daughter bought a house in Belfont, and now we're here all the time. I have a lot to share. And I'll tell you all about it. But first, here's what I'm drinking today. What I'm drinking today is Heaven Hill's Bernheim Wheat Whiskey, the barrel-proof bottling, the A223 edition. This weighs in at 59.4%. For those of you who are not familiar with Bernheim, this is not a weeded bourbon. It's a wheat whiskey. It's 51% wheat and only 37% corn. Not a bourbon at all by American regulations. Bernheim's been around for a while, and it's a popular whiskey, 
particularly with new whiskey drinkers. I like to carry it with me when I know there's going to be plenty of those around because Bernheim makes friends. It's not an aggressive whiskey. It's not an assertive whiskey. It's a friendly whiskey. Uh, it's got a nice sweetness and a lot of interesting character that people who are new to whiskey, new to bourbon, find appealing. This Barrel Proof series is brand new this year, and I have to assume that Heaven Hill started this because of the success of their Elijah Craig Barrel Proof series, which uh, I believe I've had one of these on a, on a previous episode. They're just cracking good whiskeys. They're great bourbons. Bernheim's kind of alone as a wheat whiskey, and this just turns it up to 11. <laughs> so let's take a whiff. Oh, it's got a... Uh, a very pleasant sweetness, and and yet at the same time uh, a kind of richness. I, uh, I I've compared it to a a fine piece of of wooden furniture that's been cared for and polished over the years. Just has that aroma to it of uh, of richness. There's also some nice cinnamon spice there, but more like a like a cinnamon candy, like one of those red hots, the little hearts. Let's taste some. Mm. And you know, this is what I love about this stuff. At 59.4%, you can still hold it on your tongue. This is a, a, a very well-mannered whiskey. The sweetness and the cinnamon still come through. That kind of polished oak is there, but not overwhelming. And then the finish is long and warm and has kind of like oak rails along it to hold everything in and keep it focused. I, I think this is really a very sophisticated whiskey, and I think it gets underestimated on that because people think of it as a wheat whiskey. It's almost like, oh, well, it's a training wheels bourbon. Not so. This is a wheat whiskey. And I think that uh, there is a sophistication to it that needs to be tasted to be appreciated. I'm going to taste a little more right now. Boy, that is good. And at Barrel Proof... I, I have to be honest, I like it even more. Thanks, Heaven Hill. So let's talk about Belfont. The interview this week is with two people from Big Spring Spirits. Big Spring Spirits is the oldest, most established craft distiller in Center County. They've been distilling at their Match Factory location since 2014 and have grown to include a large saloon-like tasting room, a kitchen, and a brand that can be found in quite a few central Pennsylvania bars, brew pubs, and homes. The tasting room is a popular spot for quizzo, after-work get-togethers, and some general Belfontian conviviality. And that's where I recently met with distiller Philip Jensen and tasting room manager Lucy Rogers to talk about the place. And here's that interview. Hey, I'm at Big Spring Spirits with Philip Jensen, the head distiller, and Lucy Rogers, the tasting room manager. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Big Spring Spirits, we're in Belfont. How did, how did Big Spring wind up in Belfont as opposed to any other place in the area? Well, the uh, owners were originally looking at State College because they both live in State College. And they were kind of got the runaround from the borough council there. So they're like, well, that's not going to happen. So they started looking around, and the, the Belfont folk were like, hey, come here. Smart. <laughs> and they were like, okay. And, <laughs> and we have the Big Spring. Yeah. Which yeah, is the I mean, source of the water for all of our and spirits. I assume it's, is, it, is that, do you use the water fairly untreated? Is it good to go? Or uh, For cooking and mashing, we don't do anything. Uh, when we 
during product, we run it through a charcoal filter. Okay. That's it. Nice. Delphine uses chlorine, so I heat up the water and it boils off right away. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I just like to say that uh, Big Spring puts out 11.5 million gallons of limestone spring water a day. Rivals the best limestone springs in Kentucky. And we, of course, have way better trout fishing. <laughs> my standard tour line. <laughs> well, and the Big Spring is right outside our door, so you can even see it when you visit the distillery. It's right in Talleyrand Park. So that's kind of a nice feature that it ties in really beautifully. Yeah, yeah. How, how did it start out? And, and the reason I'm asking that is, I mean, we're sitting in a large well, tasting room bar. I mean, there's a big bar here. There's a kitchen over there. How much of this was in the original plan? How much of it kind of happened? I think... For the most part, the way it exists now is exactly how the owners planned it to be. Uh, for me personally, it's it's way more than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> because to me, a tasting room is someplace where you go and taste things and you buy bottles and then you wander out. This is definitely way more than that. Cocktails. And, and then we added food subsequently. You know, we had a little bit of food to start, but people kept clamoring for more. Uh, and it's, you know, it's responsible to serve food when you're serving alcohol. Oh, yeah. So it kind of became a bigger component. So we ended up subcontracting that out first to Mark Jan Johnson, and then uh, now Megan McCracken has it with Nomad Kitchen. And so they're not really our employees; they're sort of like a subcontractor. Okay. Uh, but in terms of this being what it was meant to be, I think this is exactly what they wanted it to be. The design was meant to be a very sophisticated, uh, more urban kind of bar that you don't wouldn't expect to find in Central Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And and. I mean, describe the building. What, what, what are we in here? Yeah, most of this structure, unfortunately, no, you can't see it. But, um, you know, a lot of the where the windows are placed is the same place. They just got modernized. So these barn doors that open, those still slide open and closed. Um, and all the windows, if you see old pictures of the building, it's not that different from the way it looked, you know, 150 years ago. Wow. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. So as far in terms of heat reclamation, that was actually oh, the, yeah. the biggest thing that for me to learn here, because the fermentation was easy, distilling was pretty straightforward. The thing that I took me a while to learn was how to best take advantage of all our energy efficient things. So we've got, mm. uh, we use a chilled water tank to do all our cooling. We don't open a tap like a lot of places do. We recirculate the water. So the, actually the only water we consume is what I use that goes into product and what I use for cleaning. Okay. So you're not flushing, like, bringing cold water in, getting nope, it hot, nope, throwing it away? Nope, yeah. it, it goes to a heat exchanger first. So take, you've got a hot water tank back there that fills up with hot water. That's my only source of heat back there in winter. <laughs> and that and equipment. And then uh, the water gets chilled back down and goes back to the tank. So that's nice. That's my cooling, and that's my heating. Yeah. It's all reclaimed. That's great. Yeah. Run me through the, the spirits you do make on a, on a, on a regular basis, year-round or regular seasonals. Well, well, I mean, right, yeah, we, we have most, a, yeah. probably 15 now. Wow. Yeah, we got a bunch of products. Um, mostly what I'm, I work on is, 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 is the whiskeys. Okay. But then we also have gin, vodka, rums, a um, bunch of flavored products we're pushing for the restaurant trade. Well, and the, the thing is, too, when we started, the first thing we had was vodka because that doesn't have to be aged. So it comes off the steel, you proof it down, you bottle it, you have product. So when we first opened, we had only vodka and we had about eight cocktails on the menu. And then little by little, as Phil and the team were able to add more products, which really was over the course of probably, probably took three, two years before we had vodka gin, golden gin, three rums, 
the cream bourbon, and then the whiskeys. You know, we had white whiskey for a while because that's mm. what whiskey Everybody looks like does. when it comes off the still yeah. before it's aged. And then, um, you know, we did release. A, we started releasing the aged whiskeys at about two years, but it was really nice when they started to get older. And you the, know, the golden gin is a, a barrel aged. It was originally barrel aged, but then it was, it was, we only, it was only spending like nine, nine, ten weeks in a barrel. And so that, that to me seemed a bit of a waste of a barrel because <laughs> basically I was, I was, all I was asking of the barrel was um, flavor. Uh-huh. I'm not looking for oxidation and things like that that would normally be occurring in, with, with a well-aged whiskey. So it seems silly to, uh, uh, to waste a barrel. The, our barrel manufacturer also makes all kinds, well, it's independent stage and they make oh, a right. lot of wine barrels too. You've probably, my understanding is more wine barrels than they do whiskey barrels. And so they're, they're, we're getting into alternative oak products, marketing mostly at, at the, for, to wineries. And they've got, they had so many different, you know, different types of, you know, formats of wood, ch- cubes, chips, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then all the, a, a dizzying array of different heat treatments. That's, so they, they're marketing specific flavors. Like you want spice to add to your wine? Use this wood. You yeah. want, you want, you want, you know, chocolate? Add this one. And so they sent a bunch of samples and I put them in the gin. And I uh, found a blend of two, like cu- the cubes. Cubes? Yeah, just uh-huh. two, two cubes that tasted exactly like what we were getting from the barrel. And I found another blend of, that I liked even better. <laughs> so that's what we do. We just uh, use oak cubes. and In a tank. In a tank. Yeah. Yeah, it takes, you know, eight, nine weeks in the tank okay. and then tastes great. The way it goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what whiskeys do you have now? Well, we do 100% corn, 100% rye, 100% wheat. And we, you know, ferment them separately, age them, still age, and, uh-huh. then, and then we do have our American whiskey, which is a blend, basically. It's, it's a high wheat. Well, we can't call it bourbon because we our corn whiskey we could call bourbon, but as soon as you toss our wheat whiskey in, you, you can't call it bourbon anymore. But I think that's worth explaining because people make the assumption that you can't call it bourbon because we're not in Kentucky, right, and which is I don't. Not. Your listeners may know this, but no, you know, there's always new listeners, right? The, um, <laughs> We meet a lot of the criteria that a bourbon would meet. You know, it's more than 51% corn. It's actually 65% corn. You know, it's more than two years uh, aged in new American charred oak. Um, I don't, I can't remember. There's that, there's one other thing, I think. But the problem is, is that we do ours in a, a different style. Phil distills each grain separately. So we yeah. actually have a lot more flexibility. We could probably, you could make a dizzying array of bourbon style well, whiskey. What you have is a, a blend of straights. You know, yeah. a blend of bourbon, you have a blend of straight whiskeys, right. which no one understands what the hell that is. So, Well, right. And then yeah. people think straight whiskey means 100% one grain, which it does. And it just means that it has a couple qualifications, uh, but one being that it's aged at least two years in New American Oak. And it's confusing here because we do make three 100% right. grain straight whiskey. So there's a lot to yeah. explain to people about yeah. the process. But I think the biggest thing is that one day, if we wanted to, you could make any number of bourbons bourbon style whiskeys and just change the ratio of grain and we have the liberty to do that because we have a lot of 100% rye, wheat, corn barreled. So you could pick the percentages and make a completely new whiskey every time if you wanted to. We haven't, but we haven't. Yeah, one day. I, 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 one day we'll have a high rye bourbon. Again, it's tricky, you know, how much how many products can you support? I mm. I, I, I was debate that, you know, as so if we start making this, are, are we are we reaching new customers? Or are we just going to cannibalize ourselves? Yeah. yeah. So right. I want new customers, not necessarily. I don't want, yeah, if I have, I don't want people, I want people to buy 
want new people to buy new products. Yeah. Not- well, that was actually one of my questions. How do you, when you make a change to your lineup, how do you make that decision? Is it just something you want to try? <laughs> well, it hasn't it, really it happened. Hasn't really I mean, changed we, that much. Okay. Yeah. We've done some special items yeah. that are one time based yeah. on a special barrel or an occasion. We just did one for World Whiskey Day. That's a a special eight year slow reduction that Phil could talk about. Oh, I did see that. Yeah. That um, it, it's so smooth. It is <laughs> yeah. so smooth. It's like velvet. Yeah. I was um, really interested in the uh, the whole idea of, of slow proofing. I noticed that you were just yeah. you were like bringing it down to proof. Very in the barrel. Slowly. Yeah, well, it was partly because we had Nancy Fraley here, ah. and she talked about it. And then, Nancy's a, just the, yeah, a renowned, renowned freelance nose. She's, mm-hmm. the, she's the nose. Yeah. And then also the barrel, this particular barrel we got was a gift from, uh, um, I'm blanking on his first name. Flavian. Flavian de Soblis, Soblin from the Brandy Library in New York City. Oh. I, mean, I went, nice. there, went there for a class, and... We were, we we'd been open six months maybe by then. I brought him some of our white whiskey. We hit it off, and he said, "Oh, hey, I got this barrel. I got that at an auction at, at some some conference, whatever. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Do you want it?" And I was like, "Yes, sure." <laughs> <laughs> so that's what this barrel is. This release was that barrel. Yes, is that is that some of your oldest whiskey? I, I've never yes. even asked. When did when did you start distilling? It's eight and a half years. Okay. This, July 2014. Year, yeah, it's almost nine years. Yeah. This is an eight-year-old barrel. Wow, that is yeah. old stuff. Barrel number 71. Okay. For those keeping score. <laughs> <laughs> Not that anyone's counting. <laughs> that is old. Nancy, tell me more about the... Lucy. Lucy, jeez. I'm I, talking Nancy Fraley. Yeah. Nancy. Nancy on the brain. Sorry. She has a cool job. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, she, and she tastes barrel strength. Does she that, really? that, yeah. was, that was quite the emperor. Woof. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody Those always makes a big deal days. about, oh, they always proof it down. They always do no, it. Really t- we, 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 yeah, that was quite the experience. Yeah. We, she came twice and we were tasting right at barrel. barrel strength. We were all spitting, of course. Yeah. You, but, have, to. Uh, you have to. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so our, the tasting room. <laughs> yes. Um, what's the, I don't know, goal is not the word I'm looking for. Uh, well, I think, well, the our objective maybe. I, maybe. You know, we're, we want we to put product in people's mouths right so we want them to taste it so that they purchase it um and so we do a lot of tastings and that's why we were reluctant to call this anything other than a tasting room uh, because we want people to come here and have that experience and so um you can come in and taste just spirits you could taste we produce uh 13 different bottled ready to drink cocktails that we also do flights of so that's kind of unique that sets us apart from a lot of places you could come in here and and say oh there's like 13 different cocktails that i could just sample one next to another, uh, and then walk out with a bottle. So I think we're sort of this weird mix between Belfont Bar and then on the weekends we're a Belfont tourist destination where people are seeking us out, they can do a tour, um, the, you can sit at the bar and look right into the still room, uh, which I think appeals to a lot of people seeing the inner workings, but it feels more like a destination that's going to be an experience, and I think that's really our goal is to set ourselves apart from just being a regular bar. I think Anyway, it does to me, it always seems to help that you're kind of in this, like, alcove of the town. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, sure. You're not on one of the main streets. You're, you're tucked away here a little bit, and I think it, it makes it kind of special. But easy access off a of main road. Oh, so, yeah. yeah it's, it's very not hard to, to get to. People yeah. wandering through the park can see it from afar and be like, huh, I wander over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or maybe not today, but maybe tomorrow. Oh, I saw that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Go there later and check it out. Yeah. Right. It's one of the things I always thought from, from the get-go for us being – for a small market is that uh, compared to like Wiggle 
It's like we really have to make sure that our product is superior because we're relying on repeat customers. We do get some tours, tours people that come through, but our, our, our bread and butter is people who come back time and time and time again. So we got to make sure our product is something that they want to come back to right. time and time and time again. Well, and another thing too we should mention is that um, we do we do have an online presence where we ship for free in Pennsylvania. So um, oh, people okay. who may come and visit and buy a couple of bottles don't necessarily have to come back to the tasting room to get more if they're inside Pennsylvania. So that's a nice feature. I see your spirits out in other, well, mostly in brew pubs because I, mm-hmm. I go to brew pubs in Pennsylvania, especially in the central Pennsylvania area. And I see your spirits all the time. That's great. Are you getting yeah. <laughs> repeat sales off of that from customers yeah. who see it? That's a good question. You'd, ha- you'd have to interview individual customers to know. Sometimes they'll mention it like, okay. oh, because we much have a much bigger presence in the Pittsburgh market. Really? And um, we're starting to grow a little oh, bit more right. in Central yeah. and we'll Eastern. That, but you're opening up but, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, but there yeah. was, you know, we have had a sales team out there longer than any other place. So we have a lot more placements. Okay. Um, but little by little, you know, you're starting to hear people go, oh, I saw your thing. And, you know, that's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah I occasionally, you know, when I give a tour, I like to ask, you know, How'd you find us? Mm-hmm. And there, oftentimes it's, well, my son or daughter goes to Penn State. We're looking for something to do, so we came up. But often, there's not, not infrequently, uh, it was like, oh, yeah, we had your product at so-and-so, okay. some bar somewhere. We wanted to come and check it out. Nice. That's, that helps. that's not uncommon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's the kind of thing that people Google for. When they're traveling, they want to go yeah. someplace unique, someplace that gives the character of the town, that sort of helps explain the culture or whatever. And so you're starting to look for independent businesses. And I, I know Phil and I are the same way, and maybe it's because we're in the business, but we're always looking for craft beverage producers because they usually have unique environments and yeah. a u- unique menu, and we're interested in trying what other people are doing. So I think that really helps. I think we get good local word of mouth. We got this number of bed and breakfasts here in Belfont. Then they come down. Oh yeah, the owners of we at Riffles and Runs said, "Oh, you should come down to the, the distillery." And, right. You know, it's, it's it's worth worth checking out. So we, that, that that's nice. Cocktail program, local ingredients. So one of the interesting things about having a micro distiller's license is that we're only allowed to serve the alcohol we produce. So when you think about making just even simply just a martini. You know, you, we have no dry vermouth, so every every martini we make is bone dry because we haven't really figured out how to make a dry vermouth. As we, it's usually made out of wine. Um, we do make our own house sweet vermouth. We don't bottle it for sale, but we do make one with aronia juice that we got real creative with, and it actually kind of tastes a little like Martini and Rossi, which is good enough, right? We're happy to have that, right. so we can make Manhattans. But um, and you, you make a triple sec too. I think we do make yeah. a triple sec. Um, but just in terms of developing cocktails, you can't use St. Germain. You can't use all the other things that might be on a back bar to make in, yeah. uh, other cocktails. So it's put us in a position of having to be very creative. And so we probably have 30 different syrups that we use on a regular basis or base. infusions that we make in-house, right? A lot of infusions. We have a basil vodka that we use behind the bar. We have a cucumber vodka, a watermelon vodka, cucumber gin. Um, we don't bottle and sell. We didn't go through all of that. But that also kind of makes our cocktail program a little more special because you can't get those exact same ingredients anywhere. We always have a feature cocktail um, and a bottle of the month. Uh, you can see it this year, this month. It's the Inverted Jenny, which is a sort oh. of a joke oh. about a very special stamp. Um, nice little nod to the philatelic society. Correct, right? right? Because they are landlords. And they go. want they wanted something like that, so we did it. <laughs> um 
So yeah, it's uh, the the cocktail program. We change it seasonally. We used to try and we used to try and do it four times a year. Got really hard with because one of the things we do try to do is have at least forty cocktails on the menu. Wow. So wow. about a dozen of those will change seasonally. So and then in addition to that, in the wintertime you have hot cocktails, right? Mm-hmm. Like toddies and Irish coffees. The eggnog type. we talked about. Eggnog we talked yeah. about, right? So. Uh, yeah, the seasonal things are spring, summer, and then in the fall, we'll do fall, winter cocktails. Okay. So, yeah, there's a lot going on with the cocktail problem. There's always something new going on. Nice. Tap cocktails plus slushies. Oh, okay. Um, the woman who makes our slushies and tap cocktails does an amazing job. They're always really creative, delicious. And you might even think like, eh, you know, I don't want a frozen cocktail, but they're amazing. I, I swear, I have actually considered like buying a slush machine and going independent <laughs> you know like i don't know putting it on a cart with a generator or something yeah right because people love they that do stuff. they absolutely do yeah mm-hmm. i just think if i could get like a, a portable license and go around to carnivals mm. right. we'd all like that yes <laughs> yes um so tell me we, we mentioned pittsburgh what, what's going on in pittsburgh can we, as much as you can talk about yeah well sure i mean it's under construction so interestingly um it is on the site of a former distillery that was built in the 1870s, I believe. Uh, J.F. Finch, J.W. Finch was the building, um, was the distiller. And so it, it was originally R- only about a... where in Pittsburgh? Oh, sorry. It's on South Shore. They're calling it the distillery at South Shore. It's okay. directly next to the Liberty Bridge. Okay. Um, if anybody's been to Sly Fox's new tasting room out there, it's literally like steps away from that. But... The beautiful thing is that it's it's not far from Station Square. So when you're standing on site, you're looking at the point. And when you get up to the seventh floor where they're going to have a rooftop bar, oh, you wow. have a great view of the city and the stadiums and the and the, where the rivers join. So it's, um, it's going to be a great location. Uh, seven stories, like I said, the first floor will house a distillery and a market. Second floor will be a tasting room and a, like an artisanal, like butcher, baker, candlestick maker kind of thing. And then... The third floor is, I believe, this. Oh, is going to be more like a chef incubator, sort of like if you're familiar with Smallman Galley or Federal Galley in Pittsburgh area, where they have up and coming chefs have their own space, make their own menus. Oh, okay. Uh, it's very. It's sort of like a cool artisanal food court. You can go and order whatever you want from whatever menu appeals to you, and then you can go get a drink in the tasting room or in the bar. Uh, and then there will be event space, a cigar club. And then the top will be a, the Finch will be a rooftop bar with okay. some spectacular and views. Is there a second distillery there? Yes, I missed that. Yeah, Sorry. there will be first floor. Okay. Mm-hmm. There gotcha. will be production there as well. And uh, roughly same size or? That's a good question. I don't know about square footage. It, pro- it probably is. It probably is. I think the production space. It will be almost all production space on that, that one half of the first floor. So it'll probably be a little bigger than the production space we have. Because it won't, the tasting room won't be adjoined to it. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Gotcha. So, yeah, a lot of that stuff is sort of in the works that okay. we don't have all the details on. But that stuff has been established. Like, what's going to be where? And they're starting to work on filling all of that out. Nice. So, yeah, it's going to be, you know, you think about a building that size, it's probably going to employ 400, 500 people. Yeah. It's a huge undertaking. But I think what a great tourist draw, you know, with some great views. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm serving the, great spirits. sound fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. So um, to, to wrap up, when when people think of, of Big Spring, potential customers, uh, and that would be, I mean, individuals coming into the tasting room or other bars thinking about buying your spirits, what, what do you want them to th- be thinking of when they think of Big Spring? 
I was I was tasty. I was reliable. Yeah, <laughs> okay. and I think another... and, we de- we, and we deliver. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unlike the PLCB, right? Uh, you know. Right. So we're out there. We can self distribute, so we can distribute directly to restaurant licensees and bars. But one of the cool things now that it's nine years later, we're one of the few that have real aged whiskeys. There are a lot of distilleries that have come online in the last five or six years, but most of them don't have the age on their whiskey because it just yeah. takes time. So we're kind of ahead of the curve on that, which is nice. And I think I think the water really does make a difference. If you think about something even just as simple as vodka, when you proof that down and make, and it's 80 proof, that means it's 40% alcohol. Well, what's the other 60% is water. So if your water's weird, has a metallic taste, doesn't have a good mineral balance, it's going to affect the quality and the taste of the spirit. So I think we really hit a home run by landing here next to the big spring with the quality water. It's been voted best tasting water in Pennsylvania several times. So... Uh, yeah, I think that's what we want people to think is the big spring is the source, you know? And I think for us, good service. I mean, and the, the, we're, we're easy to work with and we're flexible. You know, some, we get, do you mean, not, not unsurprisingly, you know, we'll get, can I get a case of this tomorrow? <laughs> or a lot of custom <laughs> made products often, or cocktails. And, and more often than not, you know, yeah, we probably can do that. Can. Or can you do this for me? And it's like, yeah, we can probably do that yeah, for you. Yeah, because at this so. point, we're, we, in addition to just selling spirits to licensees, we are selling bulk cocktails, too, mm. so that they're putting on tap in their, oh, their nice. restaurants, so they have requests that we try and customize for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Sounds great. Yeah, there's a big future out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big future for Big Spring. Yeah, yeah. nice. All right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Appreciate yeah, it. happy to be here. All right. You know, I had a hard time remembering that it's Big Spring Spirits and not Big Springs Spirits until Philip reminded me it's one Big Spring and many spirits. Now I've got it. Good Intense Cider is right across Spring Creek from Big Spring. Well, actually, the American Philatelic Society and their fascinating stamp museum is on the creek side of the building, but close enough. You'll have to go around Talleyrand Park and the old railroad station to get there. You'll also have to go on a Saturday. They've cut their hours back a lot and are now only open on Saturdays from noon to 10 p.m. When you get there, you'll find over a dozen draft ciders, ranging from the sweeter Fruity Pebbles and Spring Creek Sweet to the semi-dry Adam's Apple and British Imposter to the drier Topaz and Freakin' Rouge. And then there's the Eve's Revenge, the Adam's Apple blended with Thai dragon peppers, I remember that as quite warming once in a cold winter night. I went with my daughter Nora recently, and we got a flight of four. The tart, tasty topaz, the Anglo-French hybrid Freakin' Rouge, and the paired Wix-On and Wix-Off, two different sides of the Wix and Crab Apple, a popular cider apple. Topaz was probably the easiest drinker for me. Nora's favorite was the Freakin' Rouge, which had a much more tannic finish. And the Wix-On and Wix-Off were fruity and fun. Not what I expected from crab apples. I noticed that Bull City was selling both of those earlier in May. I'm still a bit confused about cider, to be honest, and I'm not sure American cider makers are clear on what they want it to be either, or maybe they're just not in agreement. The good thing about that is that it guarantees plenty of variety, and Good Intent is doing its part on that angle. It's an easy stroll from Good Intent to Bonfato's Italian Market and Corner Cafe. When we first moved to the area and heard people talking about Bonfados, I originally thought it was a trendy new coffee shop. (laughs) Was I ever wrong? There's so much more to it. 
Bonfados is a family business that's over a hundred years old, having started as a grocery store. Of course, that's how Johnny Walker started too. Look where they wound up. Bonfados, as grocers often do, also made food, meals, sandwiches, pastries, and that's become the mainstay of the business. It is a coffee shop as well, serving Segafredo Zanetti coffee from another family company in Italy. Well, that's all nice, but we're here to eat and drink. So let's start with breakfast. There's egg paninis, frittatas, avocado toast, and an array of lattes, cappuccinos, americanos, iced coffees, teas, or fruit smoothies. Lunch could be a delicious cold sandwich, roast beef, ham and provolone, the Italian original, or a crisp choice of salads, or maybe a small menu of pasta dishes, lasagna, rigatoni bolognese, so good, or spaghetti pomodoro. And of course, any time of day, there are the baked wonders, macarons of various flavors, cannoli, and the bambolini that my daughter talks about almost reverently. And with good reason, these filled pastries are so much better than jelly donuts, it should be criminal to compare them. I think I hear a cop at the door right now. Enough. Let's walk some of that off with a stroll down to the Republic, the cocktail bar at Gamble Mill. There's quite a bit more to the Gamble Mill than the Republic, but it's the part I'm interested in. The Republic is on the ground floor, and you can see the massive structure of the mill, the gargantuan old timbers crossing the space. You can also see the care that's gone into the current restoration and incarnation. The sight lines all aim at the bar, the stage where drinks are created. I stopped in with Nora recently. It was a warm afternoon, getting close to hot, but those thick, thick brick walls kept the room nice and cool. I ordered a Brooklyn cocktail. Rye whiskey, Luxardo, dry vermouth, and Amaro, anchored by a solidly large single cube of ice and spiked with a lemon swatch. The nuttiness of the Luxardo made the drink almost savory. Nora had an Anne-Marie, a tall drink, a more openly fun drink, made with gin, elderflower liqueur, rosemary, fresh lemon juice, simple syrup, fizzed with some Prosecco and club soda, and, for fun, a dash of colorful butterfly pea powder. It was bright and zesty. I guess I do like gin, she said. The drinks were beautifully made and balanced, and reasonably priced as well. I'll be back to this oasis. I haven't only been drinking in Belfont, I've been eating there. Well, out on the edge of Belfont. The Four Ways Pub is out where North Allegheny Street ends at Route 144, almost in Milesburg. My friend Dan Gilbert recommended it back in the fall, and it's taken me a while to get there, but it was worth the wait. First, brutal honesty time, you don't go to the Four Ways for the decor, or even the atmosphere. Now, the staff is very friendly, don't get me wrong. Still, with concrete floors and lots of glass, there's only so cozy it can get. But my goodness, the food and drink are so worth it. We split some burnt ends, seriously smoky brisket bits with barbecue sauce, pickled cabbage to cut the juicy meat and sweet sauce, and a nice chunk of warm cornbread. I had the bacon cheese smash burger, and I'm drooling thinking of that crusty cheesy disc of meat on a brioche bun. Nora's Reuben was full of thick-cut corned beef, a loose pile of it. Four Ways puts extra work into getting better, sustainable food, and it shows. And the beer! I had my first victory summer love of the season, and thank you for that, Four Ways. Cans and bottles fill a wall of coolers. I'm sure there's a good takeout business. I love brew pubs and brewery taprooms, but my heart goes out to a place that has a wide variety of beer. Go Four Ways. 
We had burgers at State Burger, too, right in the center of town. State Burger is all about choices. The menu offers different buns, different cheeses, sauces, condiments, spreads, fresh and pickled toppings. All of the ones we selected were excellent, top-notch, and the fries were crispy right. The only choice it didn't have was a bit of a disappointment. All the burgers come cooked medium well. I understand the health concerns. I'd be willing to sign a release. It was still pretty tasty, and if that's how you like your burger, you'll like this one a lot. We didn't try the vaunted milkshakes at State Burger, but I believe we're going to have to go back and correct that error. I do try to limit myself to a couple milkshakes a year, and I already had two at the farm show. (laughs) I've been to the governor's pub a couple times, and my most recent visit was right on beam with previous ones. I felt playful and got a mango margarita. I like mango, and I've recently come to an agreement with margaritas. If they don't come salty, I'll drink them. This one was fun, and it went well with the broiled chicken and avocado sandwich I got. Pairing with a sandwich is a great cocktail achievement in my lunchtime book. The Governor's Pub, of course, celebrates Belfont's history as the home to seven Pennsylvania governors. There's an eclectic historical feel to the decor, and I enjoyed sitting at the small bar where I could get the bartender's full attention. We talked over beer selections, getting into the weeds a bit, and I went to an old favorite, Bell's Oberon, a refreshingly simple wheat beer. I know it's from Michigan. I like Pennsylvania, but there's a whole other world out there. (laughs) The Governor's Pub is connected to the Talleyrand Tavern, a more relaxed joint with a sports bar feel and more focus on Pennsylvania beers. Take your pick or split your bet with a seat on the deck. One last Belfont stop, the Hofbrau. It's a classic, a mainstay, and yes, it's a pizza place called the Hofbrau. Don't fight it. The name predates the pizza, and there's plenty of room for that. The Hofbrau opened in 1954 as a steak and burger restaurant. The bar and the decor still reflect that. Things change slowly in Belfont, especially at the Hofbrau. The bar? I like to go to the bar and relax and slowly savor a beer, usually one of the Otto's Pub drafts that are always on. It's an old-time bar, not a lot of room, not a lot to do but talk and drink, And it's a toss-up on what the regulars enjoy more. The pizza? Well, there's a reason the Hofbrau's an institution. Is it the cheese? Is it the sauce or the toppings or the red pepper flakes? Maybe the crust? I don't know, but I keep going back. Hell, I'm going back tomorrow, meeting old friends for dinner. The Hofbrau's a great place for old friends, pizza, and beer. That's Belfond, or at least that's some of Belfond. Yes, I know. I missed a lot. The hot dog joints, Clem's Barbecue, the Omar Bar, maybe we'll do the Omar Bar, and of course all the things going on out in Axeman. We'll get to it, all of it, if things hold together. I mean, I don't have any reason to think they won't, but I'm still kind of figuring this out as I go along. I am probably going to do separate episodes on hot dog joints in central Pennsylvania and barbecue, and probably one on Axeman, maybe Axeman and Pleasant Gap together, because there's a surprising amount going on there right now as well. In fact, if Pleasant Gap isn't on your radar, with Cafe Luna, the Cake Shop by Taddy, and the revitalized Red Horse Tavern, you might want to think about getting out there before I do. I do have one note about this episode. Shortly after I edited the interview, I learned that Nomad Kitchen's last day at Big Spring Spirits will be on June 18th. No announcement has been made about potential replacements. That's the show. Thanks to the Big Spring folks for a great interview, 
and thanks to Nora for hanging out with her old dad. You can find pictures of most of these places on Instagram at Stag Podcast and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass, where you'll find pictures and links and ways to contact me. Please consider subscribing to get notice of new episodes, and if you like the show, please take a moment and drop a rating or review. Thanks. I do have a coffee button set up in my Instagram link tree, Twitter profile, both are at Lou Bryson, and at the Seen Through a Glass Facebook page and blog. If you like the show, rather than a paid subscription, this is an easy way to drop me a few bucks to help keep this going, to pay for tips for bartenders, gas for the Subaru, and a couple of beers. Thanks to those of you who have already donated. You can always message me directly on social media to let me know what you liked about an episode, what could be improved, and what Central Pennsylvania drinks and food producers you'd like to hear from. Shoe fly pie should be the state dessert of Pennsylvania. I hope that the next episode will be about some of Central Pennsylvania's favorite snacks. Still waiting to see how that works out. We'll see what happens in two weeks. We are in the middle of a major home renovation, as I mentioned earlier, and the time may come when an episode might be late or we may have to take a break. We'll see. Until then, thanks for listening. This is Lou Bryson on Seen Through a Glass from the smack dab center of the Keystone State.